0: Sometimes the things you see in the shadows are more than just shadows. This is Hanson Oaks, The Recording. Hello, my name is Hanson Oak, and today I'd like to tell you a special story, one just suited for the season. Most people think that because of the stories I tell in my life that I must be a fanatic when it comes to Halloween, and while I enjoy the holiday and have two children that remind me of the magic it holds in our youth, I do not obsess over it as you might think. However, I do have a fascination with the origin of things. Whether that's the origin of life and our universe, or our languages and customs, I love finding out how the pieces of the puzzle unify us all. That's what I'd like to do now, to tell you how our own societal evolution has created a cultural celebration. While the roots of most of our celebratory moments are muddled, overlapped, or even lost, this is a bit of the beginning of Halloween that I was able to uncover. And just a bit. There's so much more that all the cultures of the world have provided to mix into the witch's cauldron, so to speak, and come up with the holiday that we all know and love. However perhaps none more than the Americans. In the beginning, well, not the very beginning, but in a religious sense, people recognized and delighted in the tethering that they felt with the earth and all the life that surrounded them. We seem to know instinctually that life and existence was a balance, and that balance couldn't be achieved unless we ourselves were on the scales with everything else and not separated from it. Without question, life was harder back then. Sickness and disease were not fully understood, and folklore and superstition filled the gaps of knowledge, but in some ways I'd argue that life was better. But then, like a wall of thundering, flashing black clouds crawling and pulling themselves from the horizon, a new kind of thinking emerged, and after it swallowed every bit of blue sky, nothing would ever be the same for us, or the world." The spreading of Christianity and other religions, the promotion of peace at the tip of a sword began to sever the tether, an umbilical cord with the earth, and we were told this is only temporary and it's all under our dominion. The mountains and fields, animals all, were to be used and cast aside as we saw fit. If you wanted to see God, we were told, look to heaven. But I think I'm starting to lose my way. It is enough for this tale to remember that this is the lens we're looking through this time period. There was a village in northern Italy near Barzio that was suffering the division of the new religion. The village was geographically separated into two parts by a deep fissure in the mountain, but connected by a bridge so that those who lived on the far side of the village were not isolated. Their gods were many, as was the polytheistic tradition, and would grow and change as visitors from the south and east would come and go when trading or when people of the village would return after doing the same. In those days, people from different cultures did not just exchange goods, but gods, comparing their deck of deities and combining similar ones and adopting new ones. Then, one day, from the south, a trader came to the village offering something the villagers never thought they needed – salvation. At first, the people of this place were happy enough to add the new Abrahamic gods to their catalogue, but were told that that was wrong. They were wrong, and unless their gods were abandoned, they would suffer and die and burn for an eternity they never even considered. At first, this was outright denied, but give credit to the missionaries of the day. Like woodpeckers finding groves of ancient hardwoods, they were not dismayed by the lack of immediate progress, instead settling in and pecking away. Eventually, all the trees fell before them, and this village was no different. This village, which we'll call Luego de Viso, was inundated with missionaries. So many came to this place that its population doubled from just shy of 3,000 residents to about 6,000 in only a few years time. At first the newcomers were welcomed, but it did not take long until that welcome was worn clean through. But the missionaries would not leave, only forcing their god further down the throats of the village natives. Eventually, those that did not repent all they knew and accepted in favor of the new god, usually pressured through torment and intimidation, moved across the mountain gap to the far section of the village. As time wore on, those that were on the far side found that they were no longer welcomed on the near side. More than once the bridge was even severed, though responsibility had been denied, the settlers blaming a nibbling goat for the cut ropes. Things further soured between the two sides. Families, separated by physical and now theological divides, stopped talking to one another. Friends became enemies. What once was a common and proud people, unified under a single banner, were now Il Savito, or the Saved, and the Damned, or Heathens, or paganos, the Pagans. Those pagans were not allowed to trade or involve themselves in any way with the village affairs on their side. In the Rocky Mountain landscape, they could grow very little. So to get what food and supplies they needed, the pagans had to travel to the other villages and towns and cities. It wasn't long before they weren't welcome there either, and traveled further and further to find welcoming people that would openly trade with them. Then one day, on the way back from such a trip, a young man named Santino found himself walking into a winter storm. Even though he saw the clouds ahead filled with snow and wind, night was coming. Turning around was not an option that late in the afternoon, and sheltering on the unforgiving cliffs wasn't either. He needed to press on. By the time he reached the borders of the village, this storm was raging. The winds howled, ice and snow bit at his flesh. The cold air stung his lungs and made breathing an absolute chore. He knew he just couldn't make it home. Even if he managed to make it to the bridge, the winds that raced through the canyons would cut him down and force him over. His only choice, one made by cutting free his pride, would be to knock on the doors and beg for shelters of the near side of the village which is exactly what he did. The first few homes didn't answer, so he dragged himself on, getting weaker, feeling himself freezing in place, and the snow began to collect at his feet. Down the next path were a few more homes with lights in the windows and smoke rising from the chimney stacks before the winds tore them to shreds. He stumbled to the door of the first home and knocked, and when the door opened, the man inside looked at Santino with disgust, revulsion, annoyed to be disturbed by such a man if he can be considered that. He did not wait for Santino to speak before slamming the door shut in his face. Santino then went on to the next home and knocked and once more the door was slammed shut, leaving him to die in the storm. The next home that he dragged himself to opened its doors and the woman who stood inside the bright warm home seemed to view him with genuine concern. Her hands reached out to him but just so on instinct, quick to retract as the heavy steps of her husband approaching. "'What do you want?' he asked Santino, as Santino shivered and wept, almost unable to look up at the man as his eyes burned at the wind. He also found himself unable to speak, as the moisture in his throat and on his tongue was frozen. But he did speak three words, and please excuse my Italian pronunciation from an English tongue, but he said, "'Gentilizza a una maledizione," meaning kindness or a curse." It was an ultimatum, a warning, as close as he could ever come to begging, prideful until the end. Now, to her credit, the woman insisted that they bring Santino in and warm him and feed him, but the man of the house just scoffed and said animals belong outside, before he closed the door. To the next house, Santino went, and then the next, and then the next, and each time he warned them of the price for their cruelty, kindness, or a curse, he repeated and each time he was laughed at and left to the will of the storm. When the morning came, the storm had lost its bluster, becoming a simple breeze and gentle flurry. As the people of the village came out, they found Santino dead and frozen in the center square. While I am sure that there were hearts that ached for him, good people who felt the weight of guilt pressing down on their chests, there were others whose cruelty knows no deaths whose contempt for a non-believer ran through their veins and it was those people who went to Santino's corpse and carried it to the edge of the cliff, throwing it away as one might a dead farm animal. Well, no, not even that. Even an animal in its death is mourned at the very least for the good that it did its owners in life. No, Santino was discarded as a bit of torn clothing, a rotten bit of food, thrown away to never be thought of again. Well, not never. The following year, another terrible winter storm arose. Its winds threatened to level all who lived on the near side of the mountain. As the sun set, the night brought with it a fear that those huddled in their homes could not explain. It was an anxiety that took their breaths and was punctuated by a knock on the door. When they opened it, they found Santino standing before them, but he did not suffer the winds or the cold as he did the prior year. It was as if Santino was of the storm, as if he came along with it, as if he wore it and found comfort inside the pelting ice and savage winds. He looked up to those in their homes and again repeated, Gentiliza a una amelicione, kindness or a curse. However, there was no choice to be made then. There was no salvation to be had. There was no mercy to be bestowed. Their fate was sealed by their actions a year prior. By refusing to just show the slightest bit of humanity for failing to bestow the smallest kindness, they were about to receive their curse. Santino entered the house as darkness, as wind, as shadows that dripped as ink down a page. He devoured the warmth, consumed the light, And wrapped around them men women children all being equal now in the chill of death but freezing to death though a fate laced with misery and torment was not enough as their flesh froze black their very cells ripping apart from the ice expanding inside them santino stripped them of that flesh while they shivered too cold to scream too cold to beg but they felt every bit of it all the same House to house, Santino's unsettled spirit went, kindness or a curse, a reminder of their cruelty, a punishment for their discrimination. By morning, the storm had left, and Santino had gone with it. Those that survived the night in the village emerged to see what the winds and snow had done. They had not heard the suffering of their neighbors. I wonder if they were surprised to find that the village was now twenty residents short. Some left the village the same day after discovering what had happened, thinking that it was cursed, running to a safer and more holy place might save them. They scattered south into the lowlands of the yet-to-be-united Italian countryside, or north to the heart of the Roman Empire, which is now Central Europe, and carried with them only their story. They thought distance meant safety, but it did not. As the dead know no time or space as we understand it, spirits are also inherently not hindered by a geography or borders. The following year, it happened again in that isolated Italian mountaintop, with some of the residents who'd escaped Santino's vengeance a year before being found in various states of completeness when the morning came. But this wasn't the only place, the village had exported its curse residents of the villages, towns, and cities around the area began the task of clearing out the remains of the countrymen who'd only just arrived. These corpses seemed to confirm the truth of the story that they bought with them, for the reasons of their migration, and that story was told again and again. It spread with travelers and traders, through families and friends, and each year it would happen, the victims those who refused to help Santino that night, until none were left. After that, it was only a story, a warning, a new and unsaid declaration that all travelers needing shelter would be giving it, regardless of their beliefs. Centuries have passed since then, and the true story that I've just told has changed and been adopted by many cultures. Some have filed down the point of the events to a rounded bit of fun for children, though many adults partake. In America, at least. Santino's cries of kindness or a curse that he said to beg for a life that he knew he'd soon lose have transformed into the common early winter refrain of Trick or Treat Did you enjoy this tale? Who? Me? Who are you talking to? No, the listener What are you talking to them for? The story's done, they've gone on, haven't they? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll listen to us little grivels for a bit Mr. Oak ain't the only one with a story to share. I have things to say. What things? Like, maybe if they enjoyed themselves, they should subscribe or follow or leave a review. Or... Don't be telling them what to do. I'm not. It's not polite ordering those poor folks to do things, especially since they ain't here for you. They came for Mr. Oak, didn't they? Well, how do you know they ain't come for us? Cause they don't even know who we are. All I'm saying is this good man has to subscribe or follow or leave a review, isn't it? Is this recording? Did you hit the button? I thought you hit the button. Oh dear. Mr. Oak won't be happy.